This episode is sponsored by Acuity, our software of choice. Acuity Scheduling is your online assistant working 24-7 to fill your schedule. No more phone tag. Clients can quickly view your real-time availability and self-book their own appointments and even pay online and reschedule with a click. Handle all of your forms before the appointment so you can get right to doing the massage you do best. Look and act professional by offering convenient scheduling to your clients that matches your brand and your voice. Customer support is a delight, and Acuity Style will help you relax and have fun running your business again. Check out the special 45-day free offer at massagebusinessblueprint.com acuity. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Massage Business Blueprint Podcast, where we help you attract more clients, make more money, and improve your quality of life. I am Alyssa Haynes here today with our guest, Rachel Reginald. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And I forgot to uh, check in before we started recording. Did I pronounce your last name right? Is it Reginald? It's actually Reginald. Reginald. I'm sorry. So I'm here with Rachel Reginald. And Rachel is an attorney and a business consultant and also has done some stints as a wellness professional as a yoga teacher and a massage therapist and is going to give us some thoughts today coming at our business from a different perspective of someone who has her education and background and experience and I'm going to stop talking and Rachel tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got here. Sure. Excuse me. Hi. So I'm Rachel, and I, as you mentioned, I'm an attorney and registered yoga teacher and licensed massage therapist. So I began as a traditional attorney. I did criminal defense work with the public defender office here in Des Moines, Iowa for 11 years. And in 2015, I had started teaching yoga, and I was getting burnt out on what I was doing as a lawyer and wanted to find something different and was really interested in the healing realm. So I decided to quit my job at the end of 2015 and go to massage school. And then that was the first time I ever took a business and marketing class. That wasn't offered in law school. Um, I think they are now, but even if it had been offered, unless it had been required, I wouldn't have taken it because I was going to be happy being a business or an employee for my whole life. I had no desire to start a business until I took that business and marketing class and started thinking about I wanted to have my own business. So once I graduated, I started my yoga and massage business. And then I was invited to start teaching to take over the business and marketing class at massage school. And so related to our topic today of the pivot, a couple things came up for me. One, I realized I was missing the law. And two, I realized I enjoyed the business side more than actually having a yoga and massage business. And so I decided to start my own law practice where I work with health and wellness business owners, which is also what led me to write my book that I just published, Health and Wellness Biz 101, Your Business Startup Guide. And that's how I came to be here with you today. It is, and I'm so excited. Um, Rachel gave me a preview of the book, and I got to read it, and she already mentioned the thing I'm going to ask her about, one of the many things I'm going to ask her about, um, which is this concept of the pivot. And I I love this, and it, I love that it's kind of at the beginning of the book, in the very uh, beginning, 
with part of the intro, like so many of us get really stuck when we're starting our business or we're rebranding our business with this concept of like, okay, I've got to pick a niche and stay in it till I die. Now there's this, just like you can pivot from one career to another, you can pivot within your practice and we get really stuck and really attached to the way things have been or really uh, we dive too far into that sunk cost fallacy. Like I've spent the last 10 years doing strictly relaxation massage. Can I really move into headache and TMJ work now? And Rachel's got this really great concept of the pivot um, where changing course is important. And when you, uh, you let go of one thing, it allows you to blend all of the experiences you've had into your future offerings, which will be better and more interesting and help you attract more, more of what you're looking for. Have you, in your consulting, have you helped our kind of wellness practitioners through those kinds of transitions in their business? I've talked with a number of people about this, not just in my work as an attorney, but just networking with other business owners outside the health and wellness industry, because it was someone who, it was when I was contemplating my own pivot of starting my law practice, but still trying to keep my yoga and massage business, someone brought up this idea of the pivot to me that she said a more experienced business owner told her once that you'll pivot three times before you hit that sweet spot. So I don't know if that's really a magic number or I think everybody has a different experience, but I think it really comes up with um, paying attention to what's going on with you and what's going on with the market. Um, I think there's both an internal, internal factors and external factors that come up with the idea of the pivot. So in my experience, it was a couple internal things, which was one, I was missing the law and wanted to reincorporate that. Two, I realized I enjoyed the business side more than having my own yoga and massage business. And three, uh, something came up with my lease. So that was the external factor. Uh, I was sharing space with a friend. We were subletting from uh, people who had a larger space. And my friend wasn't sure he wanted to continue doing that. And so that was the first time I thought, oh, okay, maybe I won't be in this space. So I think paying attention to your own internal cues of, I'm losing interest in this or developing interest in that as well as external factors that, that come up. That's awesome. I want to give you, oh man, I'm like trying to think back on like how many pivots I may have taken in my career. And I think <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm about like two and a half. So we'll see. <laughs> and I really do. I kind of am in the third phase of my massage career right now. Like I'm starting to enter that third phase of like thinking about what the next 10 years are going to look like with the intention of dropping to very part-time or not at all, like 10 years from now. But, um, and I think that's interesting because there's, you know, there's definitely an internal factor there. Like, am I getting bored in my work? Am I getting less effective? Are my regular clients dropping off? And then there's a really external pressure of, in a good way of hitting my, this month is my 15 year anniversary in massage. Mm -hmm. And I felt very like, you know, we assign these like, ridiculous arbitrary meetings to arbitrary numbers as if it means something that it's 15 years, but it is. It's a, it's a nudge to reflect. And uh, that's been really interesting. I want to let you tell us a little bit more about your book before I share what my favorite parts of it were. So tell us a little more about 
what uh, led you to write Health and Wellness Biz 101, your business startup guide? And maybe if you can, I didn't, I didn't warn you I was going to ask this, but maybe a little bit about why you arranged it the way you did. Sure. Uh, so what led me to it is a few different things. One, not everybody has in the health and wellness industry feels like they have the resources to hire a, prof- you know, a legal or financial professional. And so that means they're doing some do-it-yourself type work in this area, which sometimes leads clients to call me crying or stressed out because things did not go well. And so I wanted to provide this accessible resource to people that gives them some of these tools as well as suggestions of other places that they could look. Um, And it also allows me just from a business perspective to expand my reach. I'm licensed to practice law in Iowa. So I couldn't advise you on the law in Massachusetts, although actually technically I have a license in Massachusetts because I went to law school there, but I'm in retirement status there. So, (laughs) but you know, if someone from California called me, I couldn't help them. But this just from, again, the business perspective allows me to expand my reach and help other people. And it allows me to be of service to a broader audience so that people don't have that experience that I see so often in Facebook pages and things of, oh my God, this happened, somebody called me and now I have to change my my business name. So I decided to focus primarily on the legal and financial because those are the areas that I see people having trouble because they either didn't get the training or it's been so long since they were in training that they've forgotten. Maybe they worked for someone else for a while and so now they want to make their own start. And then the third part is business essentials, where I cover a number of other things that I think are important for any business owner, like networking, a little bit on marketing. And I include worksheets and forms so that this is really interactive, as well as checklists at the end to keep you on task. And those are some of the things I've gotten great feedback on of it makes it more accessible and it keeps you keeps you motivated to going through it. Uh, As far as how I decided to arrange it, I wanted it to flow naturally of things you would consider before starting up. Since I am a lawyer, I began with the legal piece, and then I moved into the financial piece, and then, again, the business essentials. Um, But I find I also wrote it so that you could skip around, because I just had coffee with a friend last week who (laughs) she showed me how when she gets a book, She just flips around and sees whatever she's interested in, whereas I'm very regimented. I start with the front cover. I read the introduction. I wanted it to be so that someone could jump around if they aren't like me and want to start go from beginning to end. That's awesome. I I learned recently that reading the introduction to a book is a much better way to start using it, especially when it's like a guide to something. I am just so bad at jumping into whatever chapter I think is going to be the most helpful to me. And I have only recently, like in the past six months, started reading the intros to books first. And I'm like, ah, well, this all is going to make so much more sense now. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. But I want to pop in because I want to say like, part of why I love business guides like this is because you know, one, a lot of our schools are undereducating in business and finance stuff, which I understand, like our curriculums are, they're just so full and there's so little time and you're so focused on like not hurting somebody working on their neck that you really don't have the bandwidth to think about business and financial stuff while you're still in massage school. 
And also like you don't, you don't know the questions you need to ask at that point. Like you, there's just so many things you don't know until you're in the thick of it, until you're looking at an office space or walking into your town clerk's office to get a DBA or whatever. Like you just don't, you're not ready for business education. I think for the most part, uh, until you're, you're starting your business, which might be right out of school or while you're in school or five years later. So it's part of why I've got a little addiction to business guides because this is when we need them. And I'm going to point out that my favorite thing about the book immediately was um, after the very first portion, the introduction, um, which I read first, yay. Um, and, you know, it gave a, a really good overview and it gave some guide guidelines about how to use the book and some directions to go in. And then it immediately had the quick and dirty checklist, which was so great because it's like, listen, you're going to get overwhelmed and there's a lot of advice and it's tricky because a lot of these things aren't just done in a linear manner. It's not like, go do this, go do this, go do this. A lot of it's like, okay, you got to go do this. But while you're doing that, like you got to research your business name, but you can start the paperwork for other stuff. It's like not, it's so much of it is concurrent. Um, and that things to do list, like the very clear before you get started, here's what you got to do. Once you've opened your doors, here's what you need to do. And here are the big things that you should not do because it's going to be an issue later. Like these are the red flags. These are the things you definitely don't want to screw up, which I really appreciated. It was very like, boom, boom, boom. I felt like, okay, I can like unclench a little bit as I read through the next chapters. So that was probably my favorite thing about it so far. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. I was actually at a meeting. I'd already written the book and I was at a meeting of entrepreneurs and one woman said, I wish there was just a list of 10 things not to do and five things, or excuse me, 10 things to do and five things not to do. And I thought, I can write a list like that. Yeah. And to segregate that into like the before you even get, you know, before you open up and then when you open up, because it's like, it's so easy to get overwhelmed immediately. Like I need a contract for this. Then I need a waiver for that. And I'd like, you really, you don't get your office and like your DBA set up. Like you start, start with meeting a potential landlord. And uh, that's really helpful. So we have some actual legal questions to ask Rachel, but before we do that, I want to acknowledge our episode sponsor and thank you, Acuity, for sponsoring this episode. Acuity Scheduling is your online assistant working 24-7 to fill your schedule. No more phone tag. You can handle all your forms before the appointment and you can look and act professional by offering convenient scheduling. It's super easy. And you, our listeners, can get a special 45-day free offer when you sign up and you can check it out at massagebusinessblueprint.com slash acuity. And Rachel, before we jump into these questions, let's just go for your disclaimer. What do you need to tell people? So yes, as a lawyer, of course, I have to give a disclaimer, just saying that this is for educational purposes only. This isn't to provide legal advice because each situation may be different and some of the laws in your state may be different than they are where I practice in Iowa. So if you have any questions specifically, be sure to reach out to a legal professional or an accounting professional in your area. Thank you. Um, okay, so I want to jump into a question I actually got emailed to me the other day about music and music licensing, and I'm going to read the question. So the wellness center where I work has been receiving threatening calls from a music licensing company over the past few months. 
making sure that the practitioners and the overall business is registered with at least one of the three licensing companies. Otherwise, there could be fines for playing unlicensed music. Is this legit? Is there any advice on getting around it? Apparently, it's upwards of $2,000 to register with these companies and play music legally. And I'm air quoting around legally. Rachel, what do you have to tell us about music and licensing stuff? Sure. Let me give you just a background first. So there are these companies like ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC are the three major players. I think there are some smaller ones coming in. They're called performance rights organizations or PROs for short. So they're ensuring that the songwriters get to collect the royalties. This is partly how songwriters get paid. And so these companies, these PROs, collect royalties on their behalf. So, for example, radios, I mean, old school AM, FM radios pay a licensing fee to PROs to be able to play their music when their new music comes out. And that then part of that money then goes back to the songwriters. So what's been happening, I first heard of of this happening in yoga studios in 2015 is I think it happened started before that. That's when I first heard of it is these licensing agencies. These PROs were going after uh, yoga studios and now by the sound of it, other businesses as well about playing music because you may have a streaming service or you may have music you've downloaded to your iPod or CDs that you play. But if it's a public performance, then you need to pay a license. So you can play your streaming service in your home or your CDs or your iPod. But when you play it in a public venue, such as a business, any place that's open to the public, uh, there needs to be a licensing fee that is paid to these PROs. So (laughs) I'm like, I'm with you, but I'm going slow. Okay. There are some options and there's an exemption because I don't want every massage therapist out there to panic because pretty much every independent massage therapist I know plays some type of music. Uh, So there's an exemption if your space is 2000 feet or less. So for most small independent single person practitioners, this is not going to be a problem. It it becomes a problem for, of course, the larger wellness centers that maybe have provide a variety of services, spas that have multiple therapists working there. So then if that is the challenge, because this is legitimate, they have been going after different uh, businesses. That sounds vicious, but kind of using the words that that you're your person who posed the question. It's true. And it sounded like they were just her account of it. And we talked about this a couple of times. It sounded like they're just super aggressive. And, and that's some of what I've heard just through some of the research that I've done. I haven't had a client who has had this happen. I've done some research on this just proactively for a client who was starting a business. And then I did some additional research when you brought this question up. So what can you do if you're not exempt, if you're a larger space over 2,000 feet, and there's also, it depends on how many receivers and speakers you have, there's a number of factors. So if you have a larger space, uh, I can include the link to the code section to you, Alyssa, if you want to put that. (laughs) Yes, that will be in the show notes. We like to geek out. Okay, good. Um, So some options. One, actually obtain the license. 
And the challenge here is that you would actually have to obtain a license from each of these organizations because a song may have more than one songwriter and each songwriter may be represented by a different PRO. So that means multiple licenses through BMA, CSAC, and ASCAP. Two, uh, don't play music, which really isn't necessarily an option. Usually in some yoga classes, that's still an option. I taught trauma-sensitive yoga and we didn't play music because that can be triggering for people. Um, or three, you could also uh, look for royalty-free music. If you just do uh, an internet search of royalty-free music, you'll still have to pay to download it, but there won't be licensing fees. One caveat to that is to make sure to read the terms of use to make sure it can be played publicly. That's usually why these are created, so you can do that, but make sure that is the case. So those are a few options. One other thing I would suggest is um, I've seen this in the yoga industry. I was looking for it in massage and didn't see it. Yoga Alliance, which is the governing body for yoga teachers, actually went and negotiated discounted fees for licenses with a couple of the organizations. I don't see why AMTA and ABMP couldn't do the same. So perhaps reach out to your rep or at your next convention, bring this up, that this is an expense for your business and could either of these organizations maybe negotiate a reduced rate for members. That's brilliant. I have a couple of uh, solutions that we came up with as well, um, which is uh, there's a company called SciTunes. And every month you put an app on your phone or your device and every month you get a new, I think it's a 10 hour track of music that is designed for you to play in your treatment rooms. And ABMP does have a discount with them. And uh, there's also, you can buy music from a handful of providers who uh, sell it with that permission to use in your treatment room. My favorite is, and I'll put all the links to all this in the show notes. Uh, my favorite is uh, Artful Touch Music, and he's got a huge library of music at this point, like hours and hours and hours. And I've known Art since like 2008 or nine, and I just bought last year, um, like literally a USB that had his entire library of music on it. And there's a couple of albums that are a little, uh, that I don't love for my treatment room, but all the rest of them are great. And I like the acoustic guitar album the best. Playing on Heartstrings is the best album, people. Um, and, uh, oh, there was another option, but I can't remember right now. Oh, the royalty-free, but you already mentioned that. And like, there's a couple of artists that have put out albums specifically with permission, like Moby put out an, an album of like very meditative music that he has said, please use this in this way. And um, so as long as you can find that written on the website or in the download information or whatever, then go for it. So there are options. And um, yeah, I think that, and, and that was my suggestion to the woman who wrote and I said, okay, here are the options. Start doing this. And the next time someone gets a call, say, we're not streaming our music that way. We're not doing it in any way. This is what we're doing. It's entirely legal. Stop calling me. Yep. And I also suggested they consult an attorney. Um, it was in Massachusetts. And I was like, you know, consult somebody just to run it by them and or maybe have them send a letter that says you need to stop bothering us. Or just, you know, block my, my solution is always to block the phone number. But, you know... <laughs> We want a, perhaps a longer-term solution that's a little <laughs> less abrasive than that. Um, all right. Thanks for covering thank, – and thank you for covering this for me um, on such short notice because I only emailed Rachel about this the other day. Um, and then we've gotten a lot of questions lately about 
people leasing space for their office. And we have a lot of people who are subletting inside another office and, you know, opportunities come up via their networks in a casual way and they find themselves in an office for a couple of years or shorter or longer and then something comes up, but they realize they don't really have a written lease that stipulates this. And I'll give an actual specific example where I had a friend who had been on um, a lease that was pretty much a verbal agreement for a couple of years. And the verbal agreement was 30 days notice if you're going to leave. And then last year, the landlord said, you know, I want to get an actual new written lease together. And the new written lease stipulated 60 days notice if they were going to leave. And then the landlord, like they both read it, but the landlord never provided a copy for the tenant to sign. So they were still just kind of going on this verbal thing a new office option came up and my friend said, I'm giving 30 days notice because that's when the new office is going to be ready. We, she never gave me this new lease to sign. We never. I'm just going to go by our verbal agreement that we've had for years. Is that cool? And we talked about what was ethical and all of these things. But the bigger situation came up and it's come up a few times where people are just in these verbal agreements. How can they address these kinds of issues, but like, how do they, how do we address, because you've got a great section on boundaries in the book too. So how do we handle like when something's been kind of loose, how do we handle tightening that up legally and ethically? Yes. Uh, so I really encourage leases to be in written form just because of the situations that you're talking about. Um, and I know often in the health and wellness industry, we get along and we want to keep it that way. So I encourage you to think about that's why we have something in writing, because then it's clear up front for when these things come up, then um, we can maintain those good relationships that we want to keep by having it in writing already. So if you don't have something in writing, then you are in a month-to-month situation. And for some massage therapists, I know that's okay, because they like that freedom and flexibility, because a, a lease does not provide as much flexibility. If you don't have something in writing, your landlord has never presented something, or perhaps your lease expired, but you never got a renewal, so that automatically transitions you to month to month, I suggest that you put something in writing. You know, talk with a lawyer and get something in writing yourself and go to them with that. Uh, That way, it can be drafted a little bit more in your favor, because leases are usually written in favor of the landlord to protect protect them because they're taking on a lot of liability here Um, and then presenting that to your landlord so that you go to them with something and say, I'd like to have something in writing. I'd feel more comfortable moving forward. This is what I have to offer. And perhaps they agree to that. Perhaps not. Um, One thing I say about negotiating is it's important to do that up front when you can, because it gives you a sense of you. Do you even want to do business with this person? Because when you're dealing with someone, if they don't want to negotiate, they don't want to give anything, or they're not really clear about things, to me, that's a sign I want to back away. This is maybe someone I don't want to do business with. That is brilliant. (laughs) Uh, I had a friend tell me once, uh, he was an educator, and we'd worked together, and we'd been friends for years, and he was going to come teach a class. And I said, how do, we, how do we set this up? And it was before I'd started like running education for real. I'm like, how do we set this up? Do we need a contract? Or, and he's like, yes, 
good contracts keep friends friends. And I thought that is brilliant because you're laying out your expectations. It makes it a lot harder for any one person to get too peeved about anything because you're clarifying. So like even when we're in these healy-feely relationships with colleagues and friends, it's really good to lay out expectations and then to plan to adjust those expectations regularly. And having a lease with a time limit on it, it can be a really good nudge to do that. Um, is there any, Rachel, we've covered a lot. Is there anything else? Do you want to talk about any other common legal stuff you run into or? Well, you mentioned uh, when we were going to talk about leases, if there are some of the common problems, not having something in writing is one, but I also encourage you to think too about a couple clauses. If you do have a lease or you're considering signing a lease is the, the use clause and the exclusive exclusivity clause. So use is how you get to use that space. It can be very narrow, very specific, you know, just for massage therapy. A lot of them are written with just general office use. Keep that in mind because that can be connected to what if you expand your services and you, it's written really narrowly? Or what if you want to sublet or assign your lease? Is that going to prevent you from doing that? So pay attention to the use clause. And that's also connected to the exclusivity clause, if you negotiate one. And I know, I love the term healy-feely, that's great. <laughs> I know this also related to that, is we don't like to think of ourselves in competition, and I absolutely agree with that abundance philosophy, but you also have to keep in mind, if you're renting from a landlord who has a large commercial space, how are you going to feel if they rent to a massage therapist right across the hall from you? So you can negotiate an exclusivity clause that they can't rent to someone who provides the same services to you. So keep that in mind. It is connected to that use clause too. So you have to, if you have a five-year lease, things might change over time. So you might want it written more broadly to embrace what you might expand into, or you may want it written more narrowly. Hopefully that makes sense. That totally does make sense. And since you mentioned subletting, when, and that's something I do, like I sublet to four or five other practitioners in my office. Do you have any thoughts on specific issues that tend to arise when you sublet and things that people don't think about that turn out to be an issue later? So how people are, are using the space, and it depends on what kind of sublet agreement you have. So, for example, in my own experience, me and my friend Bob were subletting from, when I had my yoga and massage business, subletting from another business that had a yoga and massage business. I told Bob I wanted to sit down and negotiate our use because we were sharing the same room. We put in the schedule. We put in, we had this kind of meeting that we talked about so we could make sure that we wanted to decorate the space in the same way. Uh, we offered similar services, but we were going to be available different times. So that's, again, why this conversation in advance is important. So if you are subletting, getting a sense of who they are and what they're going to offer. Um, I ha I've had it come up where there was a subletting situation where the, the tenant had not gotten permission from the landlord to sublet. And you need to get, yeah, you need to make sure you have permission to do that from your landlord before you do, do sublet the space. 
And then the, the subtenant was causing some issues in the space. So we had to do some work to alleviate that situation. So one, make sure you have permission to do that. Uh, your lease will specifically indicate whether that you can do that or not. So make sure you get that permission. Two, make clear what, what space is available to that person. If you have some common area space, does everybody have access to it? Is there a schedule? Uh, cleaning up spaces? You know, the, the normal kinds of things that can get on our nerves when we're bumping up against other people. You know, who's responsible for taking out the trash? Is that your responsibility because you're the, the sub-landlord? Um, so try to think of some of just those normal day-to-day -day things. I, when I, so in my years ago when I had, when I subletted to my first person, I actually, like after a couple of months, I started making a list of all the things that annoyed me. And it's so much like living with family or friends, like in a roommate situation. Um, and then by the time my second renter came in um, and the first renter left and because I was so annoying to be around, I was great because I had a really solid list. Um, and then when I expanded and took on like three or four subletters, I had this really great list of expectations, which, and so my lease is redonkulous in that, and some people love it, and some people look at it this, and, and they're like, oh, dear God, and they, it, but it weeds out the suckers, and it's really like, you can't be, like, do not, you can't use scented detergents and fabric softeners on your linens if you're going to store your linens in the office, like, and everybody's got their specified storage areas, and everybody's got their days they, and times they can use, and and, uh, but like, you can't, I can't handle it. I can't handle perfumey smells of the linens sitting in my, and it's, it's insane, but I actually had to address it. Like with a tenant who'd been around for like eight years and started using something new and scented because she has not reread the lease word for word in like six years. And I had to be like, I'm really sorry, but it felt so good because it was in the lease. Like exactly. you have to park as far away from the front door as is available. I don't want people like who work here taking all the parking spots right by the entrance and everything from like all that kinds of little stuff. And it has been so helpful. <laughs> and like, and uh, it was, it was great because we have these leases. And then I also have a list of voluntary chores and it's very clear. And, and my, my tenants are awesome, but it's very clear. I was like, I hit a, an obstacle where I was like, people, I'm overwhelmed with the chores. And if I have to hire a cleaning person to do this, it's going, your rent's going to go up. Do you want to help with chores or do you, but, but because everything else was so clear in all of their experience in my office for the most part, um, everybody was like, yeah, I can pick up a chore. And now we have like a voluntary chore sheet where everybody's got something assigned to them but we all know if so-and-so's off this week, someone else is going to have to like wipe down the storage cabinet. If someone's gone, someone else is going to have to put all the little trash bags into the big trash bag. And it's, it's so delightful, but it took me years to figure that out. And uh, yeah, I wish I'd had some better checklists and templates like you provide uh, earlier on. Well, and it just, I mean, that's a great example of the benefit of experience. And that's why I think one of the reasons I talk about networking in my book as well, because you can connect with experienced business owners and learn things like that, that you couldn't possibly know starting out. When you first started renting space to others, how could you know that these little things needed to be taken care of? You couldn't, unless you listened to a great podcast like this or had a mentor or someone in your network who told you. Word. All right, Rachel. 
tell us the name of your book again and where we can buy it. Uh, my book is Health and Wellness Biz 101, Your Business Startup Guide. It's available on Amazon in print and ebook. And you can also go to biz101guide.com. You can get a free chapter when you subscribe to the newsletter, or you can also download the worksheets and uh, forms for free. Sweet. Thank you. I will make sure that all of that information goes into our show notes, people. You can find those show notes at massagebusinessblueprint.com. Click on the podcast button in the header and you'll see it all. And we will make sure you have uh, all the information you need to go get this book because it's really good. I liked it. I left a review. Y'all should check it out if you have any interest in this kind of stuff, which you do because you're listening to this podcast. So thank you again, Rachel. And... Yeah, that's it, everybody. Have a super productive day. Thank you.